Welcome to Black's Academy, and also welcome to our monthly market mix. Our monthly market mixes are designed to help Black's Academy students get a top-down, rigorous, but also expedient look at the financial markets as a whole. It's not just about the stock market here. Hopefully, our goal is to educate and help our students find opportunities that would normally miss in the markets. This month, we have a special theme, sell in May or go away. Let's begin. As promised, this monthly market mix will be much shorter than our quarterly market mix, which we had in the month of April. In this monthly market mix, we're going to focus more on the stock markets and in particular, the Q2 earnings season. This earnings season has a lot of implications for the stock market going forward and also coincides with a seasonal issue that traders typically talk about, and that is whether to sell in May and go away or not. So we're going to focus on Q2 earnings, and then we're going to go also to something very important next week, which is the Federal Reserve meeting as to the FOMC, which is the Federal Open Market Committee meetings, where they set the Fed rate hikes. We're going to talk about that, what effect that will have. Normally, will directly affect the U.S. dollar, but it will have implications for the U.S. stock market and the world economy at large. If we have time, we're going to talk about some of our ongoing topics, which is stock market uncertainty, global economic production, a little bit about the Ukraine war, and some U.S. real estate thoughts as well. So now let's take a look at a few of the charts. Of course, we're going to first start out with the S&P 500 index. This is the broad stock market index. Last time we were near the highs at the end of March, beginning of April, and I was expecting the markets to continue its climb up, maybe slightly retracing a bit as we had. And for the most part, it looked like everything was going to plan and we would continue our trek higher to at least match the highs. But as is often the markets had other plans, this didn't necessarily come as a surprise. You know, oftentimes we can come up with narratives about how the market behaves and the market does something opposite of it. As a trader and as an investor, that's not really a big deal unless something big in your plan has changed. This wasn't really big. For me, we'd already seen how the market had come down and retested the 23.6% retracement of the move up from the coronavirus March 2020 lows. And you can see that here, the 20% retrace, 23% retracement have been touched. It moved through it a little bit, but the market didn't close definitively under it and we moved up. It's just that the market looked like it was gonna continue higher because as I said earlier, most of the time when you take 61.8% in retracement from the low to the high, and once we get above that, you tend to have a reason or at least a good narrative to think that the market's gonna continue up. This is sort of like a little cheat code that we use, but it doesn't, it's not the end all be all to all of the analysis. And as you can see, it's not always correct. S&P 500 did make it above. And like I said, at the end of March, everything looked good. But since then, markets moved definitively lower. And for right now, it's pretty simple. I expect the market to stop or at least pause at this 20, 27.2% level at 4,100, roughly speaking, and we'll reassess there. 
If we start basing out, you can see that there's a prior support level right in here. There's room for the market to actually go higher. I'm not a permanent, permanent bull or permanent bear. I just tend to react to where the market leads me and where my analysis leads me. But as expected, the market doesn't always go the way that definitely I say it or anybody says it, which is I kind of have to roll with the punches. If you look at this from just the chart pattern, you can kind of see that there are some reasons as to why the market broke down here. If I change over and go to another market, you're pretty much going to see the same thing as well. In fact, let's take a look at the NASDAQ. And it looks about the same, if not exactly the same. The only thing that's really different here is that the NASDAQ is sort of kind of creeping below the 38.2. But as we talked about in our last monthly market mix, the NASDAQ went lower anyway. The NASDAQ is more volatile having tech stocks, having a lot of growth oriented stocks. You're going to get a lot more volatility on whatever time frame you're looking at when you're comparing it to the S&P 500, which has a lot more robust, your bigger companies. Not to say that the NASDAQ doesn't have big companies, but it also includes a lot of smaller companies. So as we looked from where it broke down at the beginning of the year, we touched at the 38.2% level bounced higher. There was some indication as it always is in hindsight that it might not have gotten here, but I was riding out with the market that, Hey, what goes up will probably stay up. Here we are, same deal that the market moved lower. And there's some pressure here. As you can see, there's a candlestick pattern or a combination of candlestick patterns here that show that the market is trying to bounce off of this 38.2% line, but ultimately on Friday's close at the close of you know, the last trading day of April, we're actually slightly below it. Now, as market trading picks up in Asia in a few more hours, as the market, you know, I'll start looking at the futures version of this to kind of see where we'll land for Monday morning and make an assessment as to whether we're going to ride higher or we're going to come down here much lower, come down to maybe 300. But for right now, I kind of expect us to stick around this area. But you can see as you look backwards from here, there's some price action support sort of an area right in here between 316 where we are and 300 that provides the next level of support. And you can see even more that again, this was a point of resistance that should offer some sort of short-term support should we get definitively below here. And that again, we're playing into the same thing. Do we, you know, sell and may go away? Well, I think given them how we've moved into April, there is a good chance that the sell-off has at least commenced even before May got going. So I don't know, but I will tell you beyond the S and P 500, beyond the NASDAQ, this was something that I saw and highlighted in the prior monthly market mix. And that was the small caps, small cap stock index, uh, the Russell 2000, Russell 3000, depending on how you look at it, it actually held a clue as to what was going on and what we should have expected. Not oil, let's go to the Russell. And here, I'm gonna back this out just for a second. I'll come back to it. Let's look at the Russell from a long, longer standpoint. This is kind of put it vis-a-vis -vis with what we had with the S&P and the NASDAQ. But as we noted, the Russell itself actually made a high 
about a month before the other two big, its other two bigger siblings made its high. So the high here that I'm showing is in November of 2021. The Russell moved lower an entire month before the S&P and the NASDAQ moved lower. In that sense, I suspected it was a canary in the mine, and so to speak, small cap tend to be a little bit more sensitive to economic pressures than the larger caps, but for a lot of reasons. So the small cap index itself sold off sort of quietly before the other two did. What we saw now that we can move forward here is even though it sold off again, hitting the 38.2, like the NASDAQ, what was a little bit different here, and I'm going to do a comparison is that as we move through March and move to the last time we did the monthly market mix for April, which was a quarterly one, we were sitting about here. And where I saw the patterns for the other two market moving higher as being the most probable, the one year clearly looked like it was going to move lower. And being the canary in the mine, the small caps was telling the true tale. It was different from the other one. Sometimes it doesn't work out like that, but the small caps giving its economic stance, giving its sensitivities was showing that, hey, it got ahead of the S&P, you know, back here in November. S&P took an entire month to the end of the year to actually start it showing that it was showing some weakness. Well, over here at the end of March, again, they're moving more in tandem here. And you can see, the move was definitively lower on the small caps. Even the retracement level on the S&P 500 was a slightly shorter than it was on the small cap. It was deeper retracement. Pull up here. You can see it retraced about 50%, which 50% is a really natural retracement. So I didn't really flinch too much when I saw the S&P pull back in this, from this move up and then make a retracement here still to me in my mind looked like it was going to go higher, of course, until it broke that 50% level. But as a trader, what you do is you play what the market gives you. But once again, the small cap showed a much deeper retracement. You can see here, this one moved on the 61.8% retracement, which is deeper than the 50% retracement, and then chopped higher. And what I mean by chopped higher is if you look at the actual price pattern through here, you can see that the market is much choppier. It's not definitive moves up like it is from the middle of March to the end of March. Those candlesticks, as you look, they're not overlapping a lot. There's a lot more green ones versus red ones, where even though the price is moving up, it's taking a lot more time and a lot more effort here. What that underscores is that the market is moving up, but probably on hope and with a lot of trepidation instead of a definitive move higher or lower, which eventually capitulated into what we have now. And that brings us to, well, what actually happened? What we talked about in the first quarter monthly market mix, Q2 earnings was going to tell us a lot about what was happening. And I think it's going to give us an idea of what's going to happen. So what happened in earnings for the most part, L's. Big hills across the board, maybe not uniformly, but in the big names that we saw, that we love, that we love talking about. And these were the tech darlings, not only through coronavirus, but through this last big triumphant 
bull market runs since the 2009 lows, you have companies like Netflix. Netflix for the second earnings in a row has had massive losses. And the losses weren't necessarily in terms of their revenue or things of that nature, but where the market, I guess, saw some chance to take exception here was the losses were in their projected earnings growth. Now, again, my type of trading, I love the numbers, but I don't particularly care for the market narratives. That's not to disparage anybody that does. Of course, my partner at Blacks would definitely kill me if I said so, but I tend to have the chart as my go-to and everything else kind of coupled with it. But if you're into stock stories, if you're into the narratives, if you're into the company financials and the company position and whatever else you want to put along with it, the story for Netflix was one that the, of market saturation in they have about as many subscribers as they see getting not many more, the market saturated and inflation, the same inflation we've been talking about for a while now has forced them to actually hike their subscription services. This is where companies do pass along the inflation that they feel in their deliverance of their goods or their products and services to you. They pass it on in the price. I mean, it just makes good business sense. And especially for a business like Netflix, which sits on a large pile of debt. The other thing that they could not predict was the subscriber loss. This is how the Russo-Ukraine war has actually affected them. Something to the tune of, I think, 700,000 subscribers in Russia now cut off. That's the black or gray swan that they couldn't predict, but it happens. And as you find when the markets tend to turn, you'll find that a lot of different things correlate negatively to make the losses much bigger than expected. That's kind of a high level thing. I'm not going to get into that necessarily, but it is a core driver of how I look at the markets. And I'm always expecting things to be either better or worse than they actually, or I guess that other people ex expect. And that's because the markets tend to drive higher and lower in surprising ways. And the last thing, of course, they said competition, as you know, I don't know if your household is like mine, but there's tons of streaming services. Netflix used to be the end all be all. It's one of many that I sometimes may cycle through on any daily or weekly or monthly basis. That's what happens when markets saturate. And as we go look at the chart, I'm going to say this minus 26%, which was a boon to option traders. If you were trading options on, on earnings, like we do in one of our black strategies, you made a come up. If not, you can learn how you might be able to turn this into it, even though you, a lot of people always tell me, well, you can't predict earnings. You're not supposed to. It doesn't matter about predicting what the earnings say, because earnings tend not to be causal in a lot of cases with what happens to the stock price. But. That's another story, but for now, let's take a look at Netflix chart and see what's a what. As stated, it's ugly. It was really ugly. The last earnings right here. You can see that there was actually somewhat of an upside surprise. And you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, they think earnings are supposed to go with, if the earnings are better then you know, the stock price should go up or down vice versa. But you know, again, in terms of earnings, it was up 
the revenue and the expectations walking forward were the very negative things. And if you need a narrative, this is why Netflix looked like it did. I don't necessarily need the narrative, but I will tell you this while we're looking at it in trading view, you could get knee deep in the financials of any company just by clicking on the earnings, looking at, you know, the overview of it and the, you know, three sheet statements. You can look at the income balance sheet on an annual quarterly basis and cash flow. And you can look at some of the other relevant statistics. I like it. It's not necessarily my jazz. Again, I'm more, tr more technical, but this does sort of augment my look for stocks as I go forward. So be that as it may, believe it or not, outside of what happened, this was the other canary in mind here too. You had another really technical breakdown of another tech stock. And that's been the theme to me for this earnings and probably the next few cycles as we saw incredible, what in my opinion, overvaluation of stocks in high beta areas like tech, consumer discretionary, as you had people pent up in, you know, inside their homes, living a different lifestyle, some degrees glued to some type of TV set or screen, you had these companies have a big, I mean, they multiplied. I mean, look, as we look back, it's, I mean, you can see, look at just the move from here up to the peak. That's incredible in Netflix. And so Netflix being a darling, and I mean, it's, it's, it's been a darling of the stock market for, you know, the better part. I mean, this is, you go back to 2010, here, the, the 2011, that's amazing growth. At some point, most things mean revert because of a, a lot of exogenous factors, some things internal to the company manifest themselves. And now you can see Netflix is actually below where it was when it made this big run up in coronavirus. Of course, you also had this stagnation area in here too, but technically speaking, that to me just was an opportunity. This is a very technical uh, tight move here where we, we went basically into the highs from these lows. So there's nothing really breaking here, but I will tell you, looking at the chart from a purely technical standpoint, what I saw back in basically their last earnings, we saw the breakdown here. There was a very technical level here and I'm going to draw, I'm not going to get too deep into it. If you want to see some more, join our blacks discord. Join our courses, we'll show you how it's done, but watch this. If I put this on here and another level, and these are Fibonacci levels that correspond with static support and or resistance level here, since we're talking about a stock, we're going to be talking about support levels. You can see I'm a little bit off on this one and add in the 41.4, but again, a breakdown of a level that if you know price action, you can see that there's a lot of congestion in here. You can see the last ditch, all of this was blown through in the first quarter earnings. But the same thing, once it found support around this 80, 81% level, tried it once, tried it twice. And oftentimes I'd like to take opportunities, calculated risk opportunities on low risk situations where you can play this usually via options and you're either going to go up or down or some people use combination strategies. But here for those that knew how to buy put options, simple put options, you were rewarded 
handsomely. And I know, again, for those that love Netflix, I mean, peak to trough, you've got a minus 44%. That's huge. And it reflects itself in the option prices because they multiplied as well. But this was a big quote unquote miss that to me, not knowing anything about the financials, not knowing anything about the subscriber base or Ukraine war, because there's some things that you simply can't know. There was enough information in this chart to let me know that there was a good bet to the downside for Amazon, for, sorry, not Amazon. That's what's coming up next for Netflix. Just right here. It was already in the charts. You don't have to believe it, but I tell you, if you want to know more, check us out. Now, I just hinted at it. Why don't we go to the next big L and that's one of my favorite stocks in the stock universe, and that's Amazon. What do we have here? Another big L. Amazon down almost 10%. Big tech, but really big stock market. I mean, one of the largest, most successful companies in the world. And again, the reason why I don't get into the whys, at least not the narrative whys, it's because you can say Amazon, you no know, purchase Rivian, you know, EV company getting competitive in that spot. But they also had another of cited facts as slowing revenue growth, labor saturation, because they were like, well, during coronavirus, we had a big booming, you know, net income, things of nature. And you can actually see this in the chart here because people were at home simply ordering things. And we had to meet that demand with having more labor, having more Amazon employees. So we were, you know, positively getting more employees. And so we had to now, of course, that was an expense now that people aren't buying as much stuff as the world is reverting a little bit back to where it was prior to coronavirus, that becoming a negative for their growth and things of that. Yet again, to me, these things don't matter as much as the chart. That's not to say disregard them. And if you're a fundamentalist, just disregard this part. But for me, I can see in the charts where this is a narrative. Now, again, being a fan of Amazon has a long, long, long-term hold. This doesn't necessarily do much for me because nothing fundamentally about it has changed. It's still the same company it was. There's no paradigm shift here. So as an investor versus a pretty ambivalent to this, doesn't really matter, but we're going to look at the chart anyway. What do we have in Amazon? To me, it looks like a correction within a correction. Don't worry about it, but I will tell you, as I see this classic patterns, almost like the one I showed you in our last monthly market mix, when we were talking about the currency markets, there was a sign long before earnings that Amazon was going to be a little tanky this time around that had, again, to my predisposition as a market technician. Nothing to do with anything that they said. It was just how the market looked. And that's simply, if you look at the relationship between here and here, believe it or not, these are related. And they're related by moves that are very similar. And I'm just going to label these as A, B, and C. For those that know Elliott Wave, no measured moves, that it's not Elliott Wave, you know exactly what I mean. Again, I showed something very similar to this in the April that was talking about the currency markets, but these are corrections. Both of these moves are corrections. 
they move up to a certain level and then they move lower and they move lower in proportion to the original level. This is very cool. If you like the math and science that people dispute when they talk about the markets, but for us at Blacks Academy, we live and thrive off of these relationships. We live and thrive off of our relationship with money and each other such that as I measure here, I can take another measurement to this point. And if I add on here, I can show, you can see it here, that Amazon was going to move to this spot. Now this didn't have anything to do. This was the end of, you know, January where we're talking about earnings again. Coincidence, maybe not, but you can see that this highlighted 161.8% level is just about at the end of this move because the first move down from the July top in Amazon to this low in August is proportional to this move from November high, but we saw in the tech market and also we saw in, the, in small cap stocks down to this low, they relate to each other. And I can take this same move look at the entire thing and find Fibonacci relationship. 61.8% is cool, but 66.7 is even better. Tags the top here. This was to be expected. The move going from here with this ABC, it goes sideways. It moves up, but it's moving in a sideways range. This is what we call a classic flat correction. You have that move. And then as I take this off, I'm going to show you something that is very similar, not exactly, but it's very similar as I go from the top of the second move through here, and I'm going to make another measurement from this move to that one. And where I see it's a point of interest, we've already passed the first one. Point of interest down here at 100%. Hopefully it's not set in stone. Amazon may right there. The other interesting point about this 100% level is if you look back, you can see that we actually go to prior support levels, like right through here, there was a little bobble here. And if I was to take, and don't want to mess up this chart too much. If I was to take a little bit more measurements, I like my lines. My students know that we can see that there's probability that we come down in this area and I'm going to throw one more level on here, which coincides with prior, well, again, this prior support range at 57.3. This is where I'll look at my point of interest as we pick up this monthly market mix in June. We'll probably cover maybe a little bit of Amazon, but I only say this to say that it's expected. I also say that it can still continue. Not necessarily something that, you know, rivets me as a investor in Amazon, but because as you can see, the price history for Amazon, Amazon has done extremely well in spite of the short term. If I was to draw some Fibonacci levels from here, even down to the old one levels, you could still say we have a ways to go before we start getting to something really useful. We've only come down as much as maybe a third of the value. Now granted, that does seem to be alarming, but remember Amazon as big as it is is still considered to be very tech and is very still a lot of exposure to consumer discretionary. So you're going to get a lot of the volatility as we're exposed to these pressures from inflation, uncertainty about the market. Hey, a lot of investors may have had their feel. I'm not necessarily one of them, 
If you are, again, I always caution with prudence, only invest what you have to lose, nothing more. But if you're going to invest, sit tight and hold until the real story changes. And I don't think that's the case here with Amazon. There's a lot of other losers that we've seen. I'm not going to get into those. What I'm going to get into now is a topic, which is, is it time to sell? Is this selling may go away thing? Actually, what, what exactly is it? Well, let's take a look. Selling may go away is a market adage. It's one of the things that over time, and I do mean over a really long period of time, that you'll find that traders and investors keep in a sort of lexicon of market talk that means nothing to outsiders, but to insiders, it becomes a way of life. The selling may and go away actually is part of an old English banking tradition in which the bankers and underwriters and things of that nature avoided the cities and went to the countryside during the hot summer months and basically took time off. And the part of that phrase, it says something to the tune of, and come back around St. Ledger's Day or something of that sort. And basically St. Ledger's Day was basically one of the, the triple crown horse races, which is, was basically in the middle of September. So selling May go away comes to selling in May and coming back in September. Now, interestingly enough, American traditions follow, of course, a lot of the UK traditions because it's one of the same. And when it comes to finance, if you look at the stock market from 1945 onward, you can see that the S&P on average has returned about 2% between May and October. Conversely, if you take the opposite of that from November to April, it averages about 6%. Those numbers have adjusted slightly upward, but you can see that they're, you know, historically speaking, there might've been a little credence to the sell in May go away, or it could have been a just a little self-fulfilling. But if you've never heard the term, this is the historical context of it. And it's something that a lot of traders still go by. A lot of investors to some degree go by. Interestingly enough, you'll find that some sectors of the market, like healthcare, healthcare tends to do much better between May and September than the rest of the market. Now, whether that again will happen every year, I wouldn't bet on it. But if you're looking for sectors to, you know, invest in or maybe trade in, get some extra volatility, you might want to look at healthcare. Even though you've had some big losers like in Intuitive Surgical and Teledoc recently, there have been some big winners in that area as well. And that brings me to the next point about adages. Yeah, it's one of those things that doesn't necessarily pan out. And this is why I always caution against seasonalities. These are representations of the market, what people have seen and observations that they've seen over the years that kind of come into the lore, but what happens to it, it becomes sort of a salient thing that we almost mindlessly say, but it's not necessarily something that you should do objectively, whether you're investing or trading. And one of the reasons why is because markets have become increasingly more interconnected, whereas the entire world is participating now, or at least more of the world than it was when it was just British and American bankers back in yesteryears. So my whole take on selling May, I've seen situations where that works, but it's not something I would bet on. Instead, what I would look at are 
what are the actual trends in place? What does the chart actually say? And I'll go off that based off the self-fulfilling nature of selling mango away if the chart corresponds. Now, speaking of corresponding charts, one of the things that I want to highlight, I'm not going to spend a lot of information on here, is about where we are in the inflationary cycle. No matter whether you're looking at the macro, the middle, or maybe the micro levels, my estimation is that in this cycle, which again, cycling plaza is cyclical, we're in either the overheating or slowdown phase in which we can look that the economic growth, and you can see where interest rates go as well, there's a lead lag here. When you start to see that the economy is overheating, the Fed, other central banks, those who control the monetary policy, have a duty to try to moderate that by raising interest rates to curtail inflation. That brings us to our next topic, which is where the Fed is, in this entire cycle. For this week coming up, which again, the first week of May, we have two really big economic events that traders and investors have to pay attention to. One of them is the labor report that's going to be on Friday. But before then, as you can see on the calendar here, which we get from the Federal Reserve, May 3rd and 4th, we're going to have the Federal Open Market Committee meetings in which the Fed will talk about what's going to be the ongoing monetary policy. This is the meeting where they decide to hike rates, cut rates, or do nothing. We've already talked about the fact that there's going to be at least seven projected interest rates hike this year. We've already had one. We have one in March. We're expected to have another one in May, just a few days. The question here for those traders that are really looking to play this, and you can play this a number of different ways, is not necessarily if they're going to hike. That's sort of an out-of-bounds type play, but it's about how much. The Fed is expected to hike at least 25 basis points, which is 0.25%, but maybe as much as 50, 50 basis points, which is 0.5%. If the market expectation is for a half percent or 50% basis point hike and the Fed decides to do less, the markets may react unpredictably. And I won't talk much about the stock markets, won't talk much about futures, but I'm going to go a little bit more to the most impacted market. And this will give just a little bit more education. Like I said, we'd like to go a little bit higher. And that's the currency market, specifically the most widely circulated, most dominant currency in the world right now, which is the U.S. dollar. The Fed directly influences the U.S. dollar, which it in part influences just about everything else in the world of finance. Let's take a look at the dollar index. You know, in my last monthly market mix, which was a quarterly one, I probably should have consulted my own Dixie index, which the Dixie index is another financial colloquialism for the U.S. dollar currency index. This is the, the look of the U.S. dollar versus a basket, which is a collection of other currencies like the euro, the pound, the yen, Australian dollar, New Zealand, on and on. I've done some labeling, a little cute labeling here. The last time we were here was about 
right here. And based on, you know, the spicy comments I had about the pound versus U.S. dollar, euro versus U.S. dollar, and Australian dollar versus U.S. dollar, I was expecting the market to actually go this way. However, as you can see, that was not the case. The U.S. dollar has boomed in the last month, going towards the highs that we haven't seen since 2016, the end of 2016. And based on just what I have here, I can expect us to, we're sort of at a, one of those decision trees. And this is one of the spots where I say, this is what trading is all about. We can either go higher to this 50% level up here, or we can, as I was thinking earlier, go lower. A lot of this is going to be predicated on what the U.S. Fed says. And by how much they're going to hike rates. This is truly, truly important stuff for those who trade currencies. Last time I was talking about the pound versus U.S. dollar looked like it might have benefited. It didn't care anything about what I was saying. I was expecting this. The pound went exactly the opposite direction. This is why risk management is key to trading because you will be wrong even if you're lucky enough not to be me. But here's the thing. Now that the pound is trading lower, it too sees an opportunity here. If you're wanting to know how to trade, and again, I suggest that you come check us out at Black's Academy, you can trade currencies like the pound, like the Australian dollar, like the US dollar versus yen on this federal open market committee meeting that we're going to have in a few days. And as long as you're taking care of your risk, making sure you don't trade too heavily, it's an opportunity to make big gains on what we call a risk event. This is how some traders trade economic news. Sometimes it's earnings in stock, other times other markets. Here we are. I invite you to follow along as we take the information that we have here formulated in a very simple term. Again, these market monthly, monthly market mixes aren't supposed to be rocket science. You have enough now to go forward and know enough about certain markets to present opportunities that you might not have before. We hope that this has given you enough to go forward, to have a good time, and also be informed and feeling able and confident to take out the markets, to find your place, and Again, hopefully you edify yourselves and others. Hope you enjoyed this monthly market myth. We look forward to having you and seeing you at more of them. Hope you enjoyed it. See you again at Black's Academy. Thank you.